0: Why would we spend countless taxpayer dollars on a Death Star with a fundamental flaw that can be exploited by a one-man starship?
1: It is. It is awesome.
0: I'm sorry. I can't go on. Somebody help me. (laughs) (laughs) This is Movie Bike. A weekly show where we discuss, praise, lament, or lampoon movies, TV shows, culture, and more. Today is Wednesday, January 16, 2013. I'm your host, TJ Draper, and I'm joined by my awesome
1: co-host, Joseph Darnell. TJ, good evening, everybody. Episode twenty-seven. We've made it. We've made we just it. Just turned twenty-seven.
0: Uh, to twenty-seven. Yeah, it's an odd number, though. Ye-hoo. I don't know why you're celebrating. I don't like odd <laughs> numbers. Do you? Do you like odd numbers?
1: <laughs> I, I well, I like twenty-seven because I am twenty-seven.
0: Oh, it's a I very
1: special year.
0: What a youngster you are! I didn't realize you were that young. Yes. Listen <laughs> to me.
1: I guess I did. The, I just forgot. And the chipmunks. Yeah, we're we're just little squirts.
0: Yeah, one of these days you'll join us up here at the big lofty uh, 31. Well, I'll be 31 in a
1: couple of days. Yes, you old footy duddies <laughs>
0: If any of you uh, Movie bite listeners want to send me a birthday present, uh, my birthday is January the 27th and I will turn 31, and I'm taking uh, whatever you want to send me, but, you know, ah. new iPad, new computer, uh, you Ooh. know, even, even a couple of DVDs, or uh, I should say Blu-rays would suffice. So
1: Yeah, uh, and, you know, I think that they all should um every everybody should send you an ipad well of course they should <laughs> That's pretty awesome your birthday is the 27th this is episode 27 and i am 27 what are the chances of that
0: that is interesting that's very interesting <laughs> <laughs> all right well enough of that we're gonna bore people so uh hopefully i'll be able to pull up these links we're having a little trouble with the site but hopefully i'll be able to pull up the links of what we, the, some of the stuff we want to talk about
1: yeah anybody who's listening in the chat room i hope you don't have any technical difficulty tonight uh, we are our website is just touching go. It's a problem with the server that we use. That's not our company's fault. It's uh, you know, one of these uh provider server provide providers, and yeah, it's just been sketchy all day. W- what is it? The weather? I don't know.
0: Who knows? Yeah, we've been having trouble. I've I've been complaining since this morning about MP3s not loading, and I've been trying to get the Server Techs to do something about it. So. Who knows? But anyway, if you do have any trouble with the stream, uh, or if you have, the stream's actually coming from a separate server, but if you have any trouble with the site, go to buzzingpixel.com slash live. I have a, uh, I have the stream mirrored there, and you can uh, listen there. So mm. that's mm. that won't be permanent, but hopefully the site will be back up to normal <laughs> momentarily.
1: So Okay, so you want to talk about the site items, right? Yes. You ready? I John am.
0: John Polito, is that how you say his name?
1: Uh, I will, from now on.
0: Okay. How did you say it before?
1: uh i had no idea i looked (laughs) at that name and i just said it's crazy dangerous i'm not going there
0: okay well uh you know there's three vowels in it and one is at the very end so i would assume polito that's how i would say it who knows english Mm is and this is probably not even an english name so who knows it's not (laughs) so john polito he was an actor in gangster squad which i just watched this past weekend fantastic
1: film uh Glad yeah. to hear it. I'm looking forward to it this weekend.
0: Liked it a lot. This is actually, uh, I'll put both of these in the show notes. I, I tweet uh, tweeted, I posted earlier, uh, first I posted about mm. uh, a scathing review in the New York Times by um, A.O. Scott, who just lambasted the film Gangster Squad. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't have done this if I was John Polito, but he apparently went into the comments and said... Uh, um what is it that he said i'm I'm looking up here right here
1: uh now john polito he's an actor and he was in gangster squad is that right
0: that's right I think he's also known for stuff like the Godfather or and, and you know he's got kind of that gangster kind right. of a look kind of yeah a thing. i
1: I recognize his face um yeah, he is very much a very decent character actor,
0: yeah. So uh
1: you were going to say something here? Yes, was that?
0: I, I was just looking for his quote. He oh, okay. he posted in the comments of this of this review. What struck me about A.O. Scott's bad review was that it was completely echoed. It was a completely almost completely echoed review of another film I was in, Miller's Crossing. That was a kill review as well. Thankfully, that film has been recognized as a classic. So he's he's a little bit upset and trying to huh. defend himself, you know. And and if I was an actor, I would rise above that. I I hope, but. uh you know, I, I have such well, mixed feelings about comments anyway. You know, I, I'm just, i yeah, that's about it the before. thing is
1: that the human language is uh, a fickle thing. And when someone makes a comment that con- is contrary to someone else's opinion about something, all of a sudden it sounds like it's an argument. I don't think that that's necessarily Polito's intent. I think he's probably just making a casual observation because, well, on the one hand, he believes in the film he made and he, he feels like, uh, obviously, he enjoys it. And he is making a tie-in to Miller's Crossing, and I mean, I think his uh, point is valid, but uh, it will not surprise me that the internet is chock-full of people that want to misconstrue and uh, debate endlessly these sorts of things. Now, you said you didn't care for Scott's review either, because he was really critical on the film, so uh, you're going to write the review for us, right?
0: For Gangster Squad, yes. Um... Soon, hopefully. (laughs) Maybe Polito
1: will like your review a little bit more.
0: Maybe. Maybe we can get him to come comment on our review. That'd be awesome.
1: (laughs) Mm, Yeah, most definitely. I'll I'll write in a a, a comment for John Polito.
0: Okay. (laughs) If that works for you.
1: (laughs) Okay. Well, next up, we have this little bit uh, other side tidbit. Um, Jack Reacher, the Tom Cruise movie. They came out for Thanksgiving and the end of the year, 2011. It is n- very unlikely to be getting a sequel. And this is something we shared up on Movie Byte earlier this week as well. Um, here's the uh, story from Total Film. The film opening promisingly enough to a $15 million opening weekend uh, has only managed to hit $70 million in the domestic market. A total that doesn't look sufficient to persuade Paramount to fund round two. Now I did a little research on this. I found it peculiar. Oh yeah, and it actually mentions it here in our post. That's awesome. The film's global gross stands at more uh, a more healthy one hundred and fifty three million. Although according to the Hollywood Reporter, the studio is thought to want that figure to reach two hundred and fifty million before it will uh, count it uh, sequel material. Yeah. Um, and now the thing is, you were a bit disappointed. I, I don't know what I think. I think, obviously, that if they wanted to do, a shoot for a, a sequel, they're going to have to top the first film. Um, personally, I, I was a bit disappointed. But I again, like the character, I, I think that it's a decent premise. And so, I don't know. I think that the studio is just being a little too picky right now. Because think about it. It, it was a Box office success. They doubled their return on the investment. So, what's the likelihood that the sequel will do less than this one did? Typically, um, sequels do better than their predecessors.
0: Yeah. You know, and I, I'm disappointed because I like the film. I think I liked it better than you. I think, you know, I think that was the deal, wasn't it, when we discussed it before? Is yeah, that I like yeah, it better that,
1: than you? Yeah, that, that is the truth. Um, I, I was just overall thinking uh, from the trailer that Jack Reacher would be a Bit of a snarky, fun version of a born identity film, uh, for Americans with an American flair to it and less of an indie, uh, uh UK feel of it. Um, uh, yeah, but they didn't deliver on that, so uh, and th- and then it doesn't help. This, you know, is uh, the star of the show is Tom Cruise, and he it's hard to get past Tom Cruise's face and think of him in his role <laughs> as, um, you know, what was his name, uh, Ethan Hunt. So, I, I, I'm sorry. I think that the they didn't cast it right, and then they didn't uh, give it the right flair that audiences were expecting based on the trailer. I mean, come on. At least please try to be consistent with your trailer.
0: Yeah, I suppose. I, I, like I said, I didn't feel that way, and uh, anybody who's listened to the podcast knows that. But, you know. Mm.
1: You're entitled an, to, you know, make mistakes.
0: In stuff. any event, the, the sequel is looking unlikely, according to the studio and those involved. And uh, so you can find that report on Movie Byte, and we'll put that in the show notes. Show notes for this episode will be found at moviebyte.com slash mbpodcast slash 27. hmm And for those listening live, you won't be able to get there. Sorry, I'm going to get that set up soon, but uh, this is for those who are listening after the fact.
1: hmm all now, right. Die Hard yes, is Die Hard. getting a return to the theaters. All Die Hard films. That's right. Now, uh, have you seen all the Die Hards? I have, more than once. <laughs> well, good for you. Have you? Uh, I've seen all of them at least once. And, uh, you know, they're they're okay. They're good some, Americana. Some are better than others. <sighs> but you can't get away from them. No, I, I mean,
0: I, I like them all for what they are. I like the first one a lot. Uh, I mean, come on, who doesn't like... Uh, Oh, man. Severus Snape, um, the guy who plays Severus, Alan Rickman, who doesn't like seeing Alan Rickman <laughs> in that role and, and, you know, just played so well. I mean, he's in, and, and, you know, Bruce Willis is a really good actor, too. And it's just a fun film. I mean, it's not, it's not, you know, heavy on plot or anything. It's just a fun film.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, the original one is uh, Campy is All Get Out by today's standards. But, uh, I think that- you
0: know, have you watched it lately? It holds up pretty well, I think. I mean, it's, Yeah? it's a pretty right. good
1: action movie, I think. Hmm. How how does it hold up to say things like other eighty films like the Back to the Future films? You think it's equals? Oh,
0: I don't know. That's a toss
1: up. Oh, I know that see, I'm, I'm gonna
0: I'm gonna tick off Chad uh, by saying this, <laughs> but because he's such a Back to the Future fan, been interacting with him on Twitter. But uh, you know, it's it's kind of I, I suppose Back to the Future is a little better, but I I like the Die Hard series, I really do. Mm. And so you can catch all of these uh, films, all four of them, in theater one day only uh, on February the thirteenth.
1: So. <laughs> Yes, yeah, see, par for me for 80s films is Back to the Future Part 1, and if it can't, if it can't meet that, then I'm not especially interested. <laughs> the 80s were a bad decade for films for me. They, so, they
0: were, no doubt about it. No doubt about it.
1: Uh, well, you know, there you go, February 13th. I imagine that if my father-in-law knew about this, he'd be jumping all over it, but uh, I don't know that I care to tell him. And uh, so, yeah, Die Hard. Wow. And uh obviously, uh, what do you think? I had I have a question. Okay. Do you think that films like say the next Die Hard film that's, you know, uh, coming out this coming summer, do you think that they re-release all these Die Hard films in advance just to kind of finish paying off for the production or something like it's the studio trying to excuse a little extra expense on the latest Die Hard film. They want this uh special release to just um give them a little bit more bang for their buck real quick it's a easy you know it's easy returns they can do this and um uh, you know what i mean like they put a lot of money they put millions of dollars into a die hard film but they're not going to see that until the die hard film is out and then it comes out uh one date uh domestically and another date internationally and it's anyone's guess whether or not it will be popular yes they make some money but the last die hard film wasn't uh, a booming success a lot there was a lot of critical um reviews of it so do yeah you think i, that I actually doing like this to yeah.
0: sorry go ahead i actually like the last i heard film but i i you know i don't know i suppose i you know obviously the goal is to make money for the for the yeah. studios but i think it's a fun thing too to see those films back in the theater and and, and to see them on the big screen again i I think that's fun
1: hmm. i don't know so so do we know what theaters is going to show in yet or are we going to I suppose I'll, you'll have to look it up in
0: uh, your local I theater. I want to keep tabs
1: on that. I, I think we should uh, inform people on movie Bite when we know.
0: I'd like to see so. the first one in theater. I mean, because I was, you know, that movie was released. I can't, what year was that released? Was that 81? 88. Or, oh, 88. Okay, it was later than I thought. So I was alive, but I certainly wouldn't have gone to see it at that young age. <laughs> uh, so so <laughs> no. I would kind of like to see it on the big screen and see what it looked like, you know? Uh, you know, and this is not anything like they've, like, they've gone and remastered it for the big screen or something like, this. it's not anything like that. It's, as far as I know, it's just going to be, uh, you know, they're going to pull out the film and dust it off and run it through the reel and project it on the screen, you know? So, mm. uh, I don't know. They're, I'm, I'm guessing for digital theater as they've probably digitized it and all that, but they're not remastering it or anything. So I'd like to see what it looks like up there. So I may go, mm. I may go see it, <laughs> but there's okay. a lot of, there's a lot of new movies I want to see too. So we'll see if I have. Yes, fun. that's right. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Okay. This is not the response you were looking for, (laughs) Joseph.
1: Yeah, the next topic. Oh, shoot, man. What was our administration thinking? Or what were the people thinking when they asked?
0: (laughs) You know, whether you love or hate Obama, uh, whether you have a problem with what he's doing, what he's done with his administration and all that, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Not not appropriate here. This is about somebody over there at Whitehouse.gov who's running the website. I mean, obviously President Obama probably knew about this, but he didn't write this. Okay, somebody mm-hmm. wrote a response because okay. So the background here is there was a petition to the U.S. government that got enough signatures to to uh, to get a response, an official response from the White House, and it was it was a re- petition for the United States government to build a Death Star. I mean, this how ludicrous is this, right? This is just ludicrous, but it got enough signatures. I mean, some, a lot of people always just signed it because they thought it was fun or whatever, but it was a petition, and it required a response. So somebody over there wrote a response, and I linked this up on Monday. Uh, the administration shares your desire for job creation and a strong national defense, but a Death Star isn't on the horizon. <laughs> um, and then he goes on, I'm not going to spoil the whole thing, but I'll just give you a couple of, of fun things here uh uh, three bullet points the construction of the death star has been estimated to cost more than 850 something uh there is one two three four five groups of three zeros so whatever that is quintillion or who knows i don't know i my math doesn't go that high so so it says the construction of the death star has been estimated to cost whatever that number is we're working hard to reduce the deficit not expand it (laughs) the administration does not support blowing up planets Why would we spend countless taxpayer dollars on a Death Star with a fundamental flaw that can be exploited by a one-man starship?
1: It is. It is awesome.
0: I'm sorry. I can't go on. Somebody help me. uh (laughs) and then you know there's stuff like uh references dropped like that's no moon it's a space station yes we already have a giant football field-sized international space station in orbit i mean there's stuff like that peppered throughout this whole white house response so whatever you think of the current administration somebody (laughs) over there needs a medal for this i mean this is just it's 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 hilarious and it's funny and it's a great way to to i I don't know it was just fun so i I looked at the
1: i looked at the number um that's uh 850 quadrillion okay yeah
0: i don't even know what that means see i don't know what that means i I, my math doesn't go that high (laughs)
1: yeah it's a lot lot of zeros it's
0: a lot of zeros it's a
1: whole bunch of zeros it 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 puts trillions to shame not
0: to mention i mean i don't even think you you know who knows how they're estimated whoever estimated this cost and there's a link to who estimated this cost who knows how they even figured that out since some of this technology obviously that goes into Death star doesn't exist
1: yeah, and they're probably not taking into account there isn't enough metal alloy on planet Earth to construct <laughs> the Death Star. So, well, I mean,
0: if it's a, if it's the size Harvest... of a small
1: moon, I mean, Han Solo mistook the thing for a moon. Yeah, and and nice of them to have a uh, an a image with Earth and uh, the Death Star kind of side by side. Oh, no, well, a size comparison. That's just me. That wasn't. Oh, in you there. put that together, right?
0: That, that's on that's our a good website.
1: Job. Yeah, and you have the Death Star shooting Earth. What's up with that? All right, I found the image. I didn't put oh. it together. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, so. yeah it, it it makes it makes the size of the Death Star intimidating. All things considered. Yeah. It 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 make may, he do you ever see any of the college humor videos with um of, the of troopers? Course. Yes. Okay. Good. And uh, aren't they amazing? I love the one where uh uh what is his name uh darth sinister or dark sinister lord sinister it's been a long time yeah lord sinister is asking for uh, one of his uh stormtroopers for a cup of coffee but he wants it from a particular place on the other side of the death star and so the trooper's like what but the julio's is four days journey to get to the other side of the death star (laughs) back again (laughs) it was awesome that is uh, naturally, his coffee is cold by the time he gets back to Lord Sinister.
0: So, the link will be in the show notes. It's worth a read. Go read it. It's fun stuff.
1: So, mm-hmm.
0: next up, Independence Day 2. Did you see the original Independence Day?
1: Yeah, it's been over a decade, to be honest. This is uh, a
0: movie starring Bill Pullman and Will Smith and uh, a couple other people uh, that I can't remember off the top of my head. But, uh <laughs> I, You know, my sister who listens to this podcast is going to kill me for committing sacrilege. I did not like this film. It was not a good film. I don't need another one. I don't need an Independence Day 2. So,
1: so wait a minute. You're saying there's really nothing in Independence Day, the original one, that you cared for?
0: Oh, uh, there's a little bit that was okay. I mean, I'd probably give it a a 2.5, which is a neutral rating. But it's it's just not something that I wanted a sequel to or, or... Or care about, and I, I, you know, I didn't care about it, and I certainly don't need a sequel to it. What, what's your feeling on this?
1: It's been a long time since I've seen it, but I think that they could do a good job with a sequel if done well. Uh, My, the thing is, I saw when I was fairly young, and I thought of it as, oh wow, what a gorgeous, you know, visual effects, special effects masterpiece because things like watching the White House, you know, kaboom, was unheard of and <laughs> it was done so well that you even get to see this helicopter, you know, breezing by, you know, enveloped into into the explosion. I mean, things like that were unheard of back then. Special effects just hadn't done that sort of thing that often and I thought they um, pulled off things like the alien uh, spacecrafts. Um, so, I don't know. I know I, it was a cheesy movie. I know it was shallow, but to me, it was it was my diehard. Now I have so, to
0: ask you what you're talking about when you say special effects like this haven't been done before. This is a 1996 movie. This I is, know. I mean, I certainly you're not saying that no movie had ever done what this movie's done before in terms of special effects.
1: I thought in a in a rare case for that year, that time in the 90s. Uh, these special effects really worked to tell the story. And it wasn't very often in the 90s we saw special effects that seemed necessary to the story. Uh, I- I'm sorry, I know I'm talking in gen- a huge generality here. Um, and we haven't reviewed 90s films and Movie Bite just yet. But it seemed to me that movies involving special effects in the 90s just were, in, on the whole, not. Renowned. They they were not the stuff of legend, but Independence Day basically is. And it's because the special effects told the story very effectively. So that when it came out, it was talked about for months. I remember seeing the White House blow up like over and over again on TV. Mm. Um, it was just a big deal. So I can understand why they would want an Independence Day, too. I don't have to wonder what are they going to do take it in space is you know are the characters now duking it out with aliens in space or something <laughs> Who wh- knows? Wh- what's the yeah what's the next thing you know it's kind of like that james bond movie when james bond started fighting you know esp you know espionage you know type you know level spy work in space it was just like really you know i know that they couldn't pull it off with james bond but maybe they could pull it off with Independence day
0: yeah, well, like I said, this is still just a rumor. Uh, it's not confirmed. Unless, I, I hope it just stays a rumor. I, I don't want this film. Don't want it. Don't want it. Understood. So, so there you go. That's that. Now, I wanted to talk a little bit about this Joss Whedon interview video that I posted. Uh, on It was on Monday. Um, and, uh, you know, anytime I see the name Joss Whedon, I'm clicking, I'm going, I'm seeing what it is, just, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty good. Uh, but he, he said several Joss whedon things and, uh, y- you know, he, in, t- in regards to Avengers 2, uh, one of the questions kind of asked or posed to him was, uh, how do you, how do you make it bigger? How do you get bigger than Avengers? Avengers is pretty big. How do you do it? And Avengers said, uh, Avengers, uh, and, uh, Joss Whedon says, don't go bigger, go deeper. Now you can spend your time. Just, now you can spend your time just digging in, and by digging in, I mean with a scalpel to cause pain. I mean that is such a Joss <laughs> Whedon thing to say.
1: <laughs> um, nice.
0: Yeah, and then he's one other thing that he said that just really I'd never thought of it in quite this way before. It just resonated with me. Uh, something I always say to executives is: the first weekend is your job, and the second weekend is mine. If it had done an amazing job the first weekend and then disappeared off the screens, then that would have been my fault. And that is such a good – because what he's saying is the marketing is responsible for getting people to the theater for the first weekend. After that, if people keep coming, it's because Joss Whedon, as the director, did a good job. I I thought that was a a kind of a profound thing to say, not not profound in the sense of a –
1: It was a great thing to say. You don't hear directors uh, being so honest but also so – uh, transparent. I mean, I, I mean, I guess I, the, the, those two words kind of mean the same thing. I, I, what are we thinking? It's just that he he understands his job, his responsibility, and he isn't full of himself like so many directors are. You know, I mean, I, I can appreciate the likes of uh, Christopher Nolan um, to the nth degree, but Joss, he seems to take the position of the audience and he's fighting for the interests of the audience. And so not so much the studio and not just his own personal pleasure and the art of it all. He cares deeply about making something that he, when he sits into the audience will enjoy just as much as the audience does. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think that's the spirit of, of Joss Whedon. and, And that makes him uncharacteristic of so many directors these days. Um, and yeah, why he's right up there with J.J. Abrams, as far as I'm concerned, just fabulous directors. Yep. Wouldn't you like to see Joss in one of his own movies?
0: Uh, I don't know. I've never seen him act, so I have no idea.
1: Yeah, you have.
0: Have I? Well, yeah. uh, you talk, you're not talking the about zom-
1: that. the zombie apocalypse, dude. All right, that's not acting. Yes, it was. You don't think that was for real? What else would you call it? Joss Whedon in his kitchen, you know, puttering around with some dishes and talking about the pending zombie apocalypse and what he'll do in the event that it happens and how he's stocked up on canned goods. You think that was real? Anyway, my point is, I think Joss is just a really fun guy. And you yeah. know how um, Alfred Hitchcock would just have a uh, you know, a cameo appearance in all of his movies and he'd be walking by. I don't think that I would have ever cared to hear Alfred actually engage the characters uh, but Joss is the kind of guy with just all this personality. He, I think he would make a great character in and of himself if he, if he could find the excuse, you know how they always use the, uh, the guy who created Spider-Man and, uh, the Fantastic Four. What is his name? Stan Lee. <laughs> Stan Lee. Yes. He's in all the Marvel movies. Every single here-
0: Marvel movie has a cameo from Stan Lee in it somewhere.
1: Right, and they're 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 paying homage to him because he he created these guys, and, and he has been the leadership for Marvel for the last several decades. My I. Th- Go ahead.
0: My favorite cameo with Stan Lee thus far is in Avengers, uh, where it's kind of the camera's kind of panning across. It's kind of like the news clips at the end of the film. And he says, superheroes in New York, get out of (laughs) here.
1: It was pretty dang good. And that's how I feel about Joss Whedon. I'd like to see him make those kinds of cameo appearances because I think that he is doing that. He's doing for Marvel films what Stan Lee did for Marvel comics. That would be fun.
0: Yeah. And we need to move on. Uh, one last item before we get to the main topic, and that is that Jurassic Park 4 will be released in June of 2014. Now, Joseph, pull up this article that I've uh, linked here, and oh, paint, okay. paint, paint us a word picture of what I did after I quoted the article in question.
1: <laughs> I, used, I, stooped, awesome. I stooped to using a meme. Yeah, this is, this is a meme that doesn't need words. It's just a picture of um, Captain Picard, Um, the Starship Enterprise. T. O'Grey, hot. Yes, he is in the captain's chair. And I can imagine that uh, he just heard from Lieutenant LaForge the update that Jurassic Park 4 is coming to the theaters. What does he do? This is Picard (laughs) (laughs) facepalm. Picard facepalm. That's all we need to know. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, that's how I <laughs> well, feel about Jurassic Park 4 being released in June of 2014. That's all, I didn't put any of my own words in there, that was all I put was that picture.
1: Oh, no, what does it say? Right now, it only looks like Steven Spielberg will produce the Jurassic Park 4, although as Variety notes, the director's recent postponement of robo Apocalypse,
0: Rob, robo yeah.
1: robo Apocalypse raises an interesting possibility. Perhaps Spielberg has not committed to another film, but given that Jurassic Park 4 is now... On the fast track, it's not out from the question that he would step up into the director's chair. Hmm. Well, okay. Look, you know, Spielberg gave us an awesome Jurassic Park one, so I, uh, I wouldn't hesitate to see a Jurassic Park four by Spielberg. Mm. If it's if he's more than producing it, I'll buy it. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I I I can understand the sentiments of Captain Picard and T.J. Draper.
0: <laughs> Uh well that's all that's all I got to say about that is facepalm <laughs> facepalm.gif <laughs>
1: And and uh your your point is well taken. <laughs> well what did you tell us what you really thought of Jurassic Park 3? <laughs>
0: I, I I really have a problem with with telling people what I really think. You know how I am. <laughs> it's just yeah. hard for me to get it out there. <laughs>
1: well you liked part 1, right? I Did you like part 2? Mm eh. Really? Oh! All right, all right. Anyway, moving we'll, on. We'll have to we'll have to do a special edition of Movie Bite and talk about those for some reason. We'll we'll come up with an excuse like Evolution Day. I'm sure, sure it's on the calendar somewhere. Joseph.
0: Uh huh. Over my dead and cold body. Ouch. <laughs> no, I don't know. We can talk about. Them, I suppose because <laughs> we do say in the description, as you pointed out to me earlier. Uh, when I was saying, ah, oh, do we have to talk about promised land? Cause I just wasn't that crazy about the film. And you're like, well, dude, our description says that sometimes we lampoon movies and we haven't done a good one lately that we've lampooned. So and I don't know that promised land is going to be a lampooning, but I, yeah. anyway, so speaking of which, I guess that's our segue into our main topic. Cause that's all, that's yes. all the news and side items
1: that we wanted to talk about. That today. is it. Promised I mean, land. Yeah. Yes. Promised land
0: have you uh forgive me joseph i had so much going on we've already put the i I know i've read your review on it is it on movie did we post it
1: yeah okay it was as it was up uh yesterday afternoon
0: that's right i remember now uh too (laughs) much too much going on wow my 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 poor brain but i knew i'd read it i couldn't just couldn't remember if it went live or not
1: yeah people we have already done enough work for movie bite in this one week to last us like four so um yeah you'll have to forgive tj
0: or not is whatever whatever makes whatever works for you. So promised land, uh, you have here uh, two dates that it came in theaters. My understanding was it was in theaters December twenty eighth, but you have December twenty eighth. Yes,
1: it had a limited release on December
0: twenty eighth. Okay, okay.
1: And I, and I just, that's what Box Office Mojo reports. Um, they didn't specify that it was just a limited release, but then if you hop over to IMDb, it says january 4th was the release date and then i forget what side i came across it may have been i think it was wikipedia made the notes that december 28th was just the limited release
0: yeah well and i didn't get a chance to see it till this weekend my wife and mm. i went and caught a double feature we caught gangster squad uh and then uh, promised land this past saturday so and, uh, and now which one did
1: you see first
0: a pro- uh, gangster squad
1: ouch see now you shouldn't have done that why because I, it was an action film, no, you knew see, it I had all these beautiful faces uh, in it, and it would be a fun I don't, film.
0: I didn't didn't have any problem. I, I've never had any problem making that transition. That doesn't bother me at all. I can go straight oh, okay. from one to the other, and it wasn't like back to back either. Like we we went and hung out a little bit, and then we went and saw Promised Land. So, um, yeah, it, it you know I didn't have any problems that way. But okay. uh, I would definitely say, uh, and I think I say it without prejudice uh, or without you know, like I said, I'm pretty sure I'm able to switch gears in my head. I would say that Gangster Squad was the better movie, but we'll talk about that next week.
1: Yeah, well, see, that's the thing, though. Is I, I, I mean, from a human experience, I, I, I'm with you, TJ. I I trust you are genuinely being as honest as you can possibly be, sincere and as objective as you can be. But dramas are—they just have the whole world stacked against them when it comes to entertainment in the movies. Because you know, you go to a drama and you're hoping that this thing is going to somehow blow your socks off, but. You inevitably compare it to your experiences with those awesome action films, those epics and adventures that you've seen that can really capitalize on the big screen, right? So uh, when it comes to movies like The Hobbit or an action film like a Die Hard film, naturally the big screen is going to make a huge difference. I think that a drama is something that most people want to skip over from theaters anyway, because at the end of the day, it's, uh, it's just about the dialogue and what is said, and it has a little bit of a moral to it. And maybe um, maybe it has some good-looking scenery, but that's usually the whole of it. And so I <laughs>
0: see. And that, that you're, a, you're right. Yeah. That may be true for
1: most people. I, that's not mm-hmm. true for
0: me. And that's why I, I say I can be objective about it. Is because okay. I like a good drama. One of my one of my favorite films of all time uh, is a drama. Hardly any action in it all. Happens to star Tom Cruise. Um, and uh, I cannot. Remember is it one of those
1: Tom Clancy novels adapted to the film?
0: No, it's not. It. Uh, oh, okay. It's actually, it was a stage play adapted to film, A Few Good Men. Ah. Uh, and it is one of my favorite films of all time. Not a lot of action. I I, I don't think there's any action in it. Uh, but it's it's all about the drama. And I love that film. I'd go, if, if, if they announced that it's going to be in theater tomorrow on the big screen, because I didn't get a chance to see it, you know, it was, I was pretty young when it came out. Uh, and if they announced it was going to be on the big screen tomorrow on a one-day release or whatever, I'd be there because what? I love that film.
1: Well, I'm sure when they make the sequel, a few more good, win- good men, they'll make it, you know, a special... Do not, do not speak
0: sacrilege movie. of my film.
1: Oh, okay. Okay. Sorry. I'm so sorry. So, Promised Land... I've twice. No. I'll do one more strike and I'm out <laughs> I'm
0: going to strike you with lightning. <laughs> um, so, Promised Land, yeah, it's, it's, it's all about drama and none, no action in it at all. Uh, you know, now, not-
1: I, I I thought that this would be a good time, TJ, for us to add a new little piece to our um, featured reviews. And this isn't a lot, but it, it it goes a long way. It's what I call the about the filmmaking segment. Uh, you know, normally we uh, we compile our thoughts together and we talk about those things loosely as it relates to the filmmaking and the the behind the scenes of a film usually we're talking about the movie and its entertainment value and what we got out of uh, seeing the film in theaters but i think it helps to know just a little bit more of the behind the scenes and in this case especially so are you okay with that
0: i am totally okay with that
1: thank you dj okay because i i I cannot afford one more strike okay um (laughs) here we got about the filmmaking all right so here i better not ruin this uh, this is a little snippet of information. This is all about knowledge. And this uh, this is just a brief explanation of the filmmaking, behind-the-scenes stuff. And it, 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 I, I, I didn't make this up, people. This came from Wikipedia. So uh, let's see what Wikipedia has to say about Promised Land, right? Uh, Promised Land is a 2012 American drama film directed by Gus Van Sant and starring Matt Damon and John Krasinski, Francis McDormand, and Hal Holbrook. The screenplay is written by Matt Damon and John Krasinski, based on a story by Dave Eggers. Promised Land follows two corporate salespeople who visit a rural town in an attempt to buy drilling rights from the local residents. Damon was originally attached to direct this film, but he was replaced by Vincent. Filming took place mainly in Pittsburgh from early uh, mid 2012. During filmmaking and afterward, the film's highlighting of the resource extraction process hydraulic fracturing, colloquially known as fracking, emerged as a topic of cultural debate. And so that is why we thought this film was worth discussing. I mean, that well, says it all. Well,
0: that well, has what, what Matt Damon say? in it, you know, and. And Hal yeah. Holbrook, Holbrook. Yes. And,
1: uh, and I am a John Krasinski fan okay. and a Francis McDormand fan. Um, so uh, I, I, I'm not crazy about the director, but he also makes very interesting films. So I track with them to know what he's up to. So uh, it just seems like this film was made for our times. I, I And w- what, do you, what do you think about the whole involvement with Gun- uh, Gus Van Sant?
0: I don't know much about him. I, okay well I don't. His, all, all I know is what Matt Damon said in his interview recently about him.
1: Ah, uh, yes, which we posted on Monday. Matt pointed out that he really appreciates Gus's ability to spot the BS in the story and avoid it as much as possible in, in the deliveries. So he offers great notes to the actors and what have you. Now Matt also pointed out that one of the reasons he bowed out as the director was because he's got for kids and he was trying to manage his family responsibilities, so he wanted a, a director with less res- you know, personal responsibility to manage this. But I find it very interesting that the screenplay was uh, credited to Matt Damon and John Krasinski. Where uh, I'm not aware that John Krasinski has had much to do with screenplay before, but I love his acting on The Office. And you know, whenever he's appeared in a couple other movies, I enjoyed them. Um, there was the uh, Leatherheads movie with. Uh, what was his name? Uh, I want to call him Gary Cooper, uh, George Clooney, and John Krasinski did a fine job in that in that uh, period film about football. And I think that he's an up and coming of uh, film uh, actor. It just ha- it seems like uh, he's got off to a slow start, but now that he is diversifying, he's a TV actor, he's a film actor, and he is a writer with the likes of Matt Damon. That's pr- pretty interesting. And that he's done work with George Clooney. I, I, the guy is going places. So um, I, I actually wanted to see the film, Promised Land, for John Krasinski's sake more so than Matt Damon's sake.
0: Okay. <laughs> I don't know how much to say about that.
1: Okay. Well, do you want to give uh, the people the storyline? Yes, I can do that first. Please do.
0: Promised Land is the new contemporary drama directed by Gus Van Sant, who also directed Goodwill Hunting and Milk. Matt Damon plays Steve Butler, an ace corporate salesman who is sent along with his partner Sue Thomason, played by Francis McDormand, to close a key rural town in his company's expansion plans. With the town having been hit hard by the economic decline of recent years, the two outsiders see the local citizens as likely to accept their company's offer for drilling rights to their properties as much-needed relief. What seems like an easy job for the sales sales reps becomes complicated by the objection of a respected schoolteacher, played by Hal Holbrook, with support from a grassroots campaign led by environmentalist Dustin Noble, played by John Krasinski. Promised Land, explores America at the Crossroads, where big business and, and the strength of small town community converge. So that is that's the premise. I, I want to get a uh, a uh, what do you call it a disclaimer out of the way right up front. Um, we love all of our listeners, regardless of your political persuasions. We don't want to lose any of you. I've said this before. I am, and as you are, Joseph, a, a, a pretty conservative politically. Um, and that tends to mean that, uh, movies like this who tend to be put out by very liberal people, they're probably going to annoy me a little bit. And, you know, so I want to get that out of the way that that is the perspective that I'm coming from as a conservative. I, you know, I thought that this movie was not all that fair and balanced at the same time. I was surprised at how fair and balanced it was because I was expecting it to be uh, a movie that was kind of politically driven. So, Mm. But with with that said, I think it missed the mark in some ways. And, you know, I, I respect your opinion if you don't think that. But
1: mm. Now, while we're segueing into our likes at this kind of time, um, <laughs> I, I wanted to highlight, too, that, you know, we don't just see films that meet our political and, you know, personal persuasions, you know? Not at all. Obviously. I mean, some of our favorite films, for crying out loud. I mean, you're a big fan of Star Trek, but that doesn't mean you believe and some of the humanist ideals of the series. And sure. I don't, you know, obviously believe in the force, but I love Star Wars, so. Right, and, you know, and of I'm course, actually,
0: there, you know, that leads into a whole talk about fantasy and what's acceptable and what isn't and, and all that stuff. And, you know, the force is, sure. is just like the magic in Harry Potter or what have you. Uh, mm. You know, whereas political ideals can be, can be a little bit different, but I, I don't shy away from those sorts of films. I like to evaluate them, and that's why we're here talking about Promised Land.
1: Sure. Now, I want to argue, though, that uh, this film isn't just political so much as it is a question about what it means to have integrity and uh, sincerity and honesty. And, and that
0: part of this film I did like.
1: And that I very much appreciate, but I find to be inherently flawed. So, I mean, we'll talk about that when we get to our dislikes. So there's a lot coming up here. This this film has many facets to it. Uh, first, The first one being... I love how sincere and earnest this, the, the acting comes across in this movie.
0: Absolutely. And that, that was one of my first things, too, is that Matt Damon's character, uh, what was it, C. Butler, y- you never get from him that he's here to shove something down these people's th- throats. If you get that from him or if you feel like he's trying to push something through, it's because he sincerely thinks that he's helping these people. That, that he came from a small-town farming community that was kind of destroyed, uh, as we find out pretty early on in the film, when the Caterpillar plant pulled out. And so his whole shtick is, I'm going to bring industry to these people and help them. Uh right. and, and bring in money to this town, and he's very sincere in that desire to do that. So much so, and, and very early in the film, when – um uh, John Krasinski's character uh, Dustin. When when he came into the picture, my first thought was, "What what are they trying to accomplish here?" I, I saw through it pretty quickly later, but early in the film when he first came in, I didn't like him, and I liked the guy who was pushing the big gas company business better, Matt Damon. And I'm trying to figure out what is the message of this film? Have I have I misevaluated it? Now I I saw through the charade pretty early on later, but at that very first time, that was my first response: is, "Huh, interesting." So, um. Yeah, I, I like certainly like Matt Damon's character, and I thought that it was very well co- accomplished what it was supposed
1: to. Steve Butler, for me, kind of reminded me of a modernized take on George Bailey of It's a Wonderful Life. Here you have the, the small-town guy who is ultimately just trying to support a small-town's economy, and he knows that there's sort of a gray area between working with um, the town's, uh, you know— Mr. Scrooge, you know, uh, Mr. Potter and trying to meet the needs of the small town and Steve Butler's case, as it turns out, uh, you know, uh, is a little bit different from George Bailey's in that a spoiler alert, he ultimately discovers he uh, the one uh, distinction between the experience of George Bailey and uh, Steve Butler is that it's like George Bailey finding out that all along he was. Working for the bad guy, Harry Potter, that uh, for all of his uh, good doing, he actually was working for the bad guys all along. And everything he attempted to do right is for naught. So that's kind of the cleverness of Steve Butler is here he's the honest uh, honest Joe, who in the long run ends up discovering he's been on the wrong side all along. The way that the story wants to pitch the scenario.
0: yeah you know
1: i you're at a loss for words well how do you
0: how do you uh i'm trying to quantify what i'm thinking um it in addition to the character coming across as sincere and likable matt damon's character um
1: i had a sense that he was somewhat incomplete but that that's more to do with my dislikes what were you thinking
0: Well, I just liked how down to earth, I mean, because I I actually like a good drama and I wanted in some ways to like this film as a drama.
1: (laughs) You know, that's actually the first thing I wrote down when I put down, uh, when I started writing my review, the first thing that came to my mind and I I wrote it down and eventually it got scratched in later uh, editing. But uh, the first thing I said was, I wanted to like Promised Land. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, yeah, that's that's uh, a lot of how I felt.
0: Yeah, that's the way I felt about it. And you know, I um, they didn't take pains to really, um, you know, just just like the 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 female lead, uh, uh, Frances McDormand's character, Sue Thomason. Um, she was very down to earth. They showed her. They showed, despite the political agenda here, they showed that these were real people with real families, with real stakes in the game. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Yes. It, it, they weren't villainizing. I appreciated that, even though I disagreed with the ultimate conclusion coming out here in this film. I appreciated that they were willing to humanize the people from global and make them real movies
1: in cinema in recent years have struggled to capture folksiness without insulting it and without, um, oversimplifying it. Um, the real human experience of what it means to be in small town America, seems like it was fleshed out in promised land. So I would say if, you know, we were talking to film school students, look guys, look to the promised land film for an example of not just, uh, uh, fine acting from all the stars and the supporting cast, but think of it as a, a clever example of modern small town America. I think it was very respectable to the the farmers and Grant you has to uh, find a fine balance between, uh, you know, it's not necessarily insult. it shouldn't be an insult to these people if they're ignorant, because in the film, these farmers don't really know whether or not they can trust the big natural gas company that's coming to town and offering them millions of dollars. Um, but these guys, uh, they believe that this is right for their families. This is right for their community. Some of them have a little bit of uh, crooked motivation and others. They're quite um, transparent and honest and self-sacrificing about their motivation to uh, do business with global and not everybody in the towns. Uh, it, 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 they weren't cookie cutter people. They weren't two dimensionalized. When they have the town hall meetings. most of them weren't. um, Okay, uh, fair enough. I'm not sure who you're thinking about. You'll have to tell me. I'm I'm curious. But when they have the town hall meetings, they really flesh out deferring opinions over a uh, large number of people for a small town so that you feel like, you know, these people, they represent what would really go on with a small town with these sorts of circumstances. Um, another thing that I I really appreciated not was ju- not just the acting and the uh, overall de- delivery and uh, representation, but I just thought that this was great writing as far as a screenplay.
0: That's true. It was a I, good it, screenplay. Uh,
1: the first two acts were good screenplay. That's the thing. Yeah, and and, uh, and so so this seems like um, an unusual circumstance. Because it's it, usually when a film uh, re, uh, struggles to get good dialogue off the ground, it's, uh, it, the bad dialogue is sprinkled throughout. And maybe there's one scene that really stands out to you as the example of what the, where the film uh, should have been, but then the whole of it uh, just kind of seems weak or something, right? This is an example where the delivery is great, the first act, second act, terrific in dialogue and deliveries and every beat. I loved most every line from the old and the young characters, from the bad guys and good guys. Um, you know, they just, uh, it felt all natural. And I was impressed by the talent there with Damon and Krasinski. So, uh, and whomever it was that was supporting them in their writing efforts, um, thanks a bunch, because I was really enjoying the film. And And so then now, are you ready to get into our dislikes? I kind of think... Apart yeah. from that of what we've already mentioned. Well, uh, I mean the cinematography. Else,
0: the cinematography was at times very good.
1: Ah, yes. Well, on that note, I actually want to say the cinematography looked great. And we're not talking about just, you know, the camera angles, the shots, and the movement of, of the camera shots. For me, when we talk about the cinematography, I think what was really awesome was the location. A lot of this filmed in uh, in and around Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and other parts of Pennsylvania, and I was I was just dumbfounded by how gorgeous it was and at, beautiful time, countryside.
0: Right at the same time, I never felt like they exaggerated anything; like it was appropriate to what was going on.
1: Yeah, yeah, it doesn't feel like an enhanced location like Hobbitland for the Hobbits and you know and Lord this, of the Rings or anything. This actually feels like. Um, small town america country and you wish you could be there just for a nice leisurely evening to have a stroll through the fields
0: right and you have to understand too uh you're you're talking to somebody me uh who has i grew up on a farm so i'm i'm, I'm saying this as somebody knowledgeable knowing that of course of course they glorified some things right and they had the beauty shots but there were times too and they were not afraid to show uh the kind of the muckety muck or whatever so yeah yeah, I, I was happy with that aspect, and and as a filmmaker, I also appreciate the need to show beautiful shots, and so that was good. So I, I appreciated yes. the cinematography in this film, you know, and especially coming off of uh, what I know Matt Damon for, which is the shaky cam series of films uh, known as the Bourne series. Well, the f- first film wasn't shaky cam, but you know the the rest of the films. Uh, it was nice to see Matt Damon and actually see him kind of being. St- the camera being still around him
1: <laughs> right and, and and you know the the firstborn film really excelled when it came to the cinematography the locations but then when it came to part two and uh part four they really lacked a lot yeah um to me not just uh you know i mean obviously the budget was there but it seemed like locations weren't and the shots most for the most part in those two films were not inspired uh part three revived some of the tone of um, part one visually. And uh, I appreciate that because you could do just fine with parts one and three and skip two and four and you don't feel like you really missed too much except, you know, his wife dying, which really stinks. But, but you've kind you
0: know, of gone off on a tangent now.
1: <laughs> yeah, where was I with that? Oh, right. Okay, well, the whole point in bringing that up is that it. Uh, we don't even know what the budget of promised land was but it seems to me no we don't it has it's not publicly available and that's that is part of the mystery about this film but it seems to me huh. wherever they put their money to use they did a great job so uh i don't know maybe they didn't uh make that public knowledge because a lot of them were doing it because okay. they believed in the cause of the message
0: if you can believe wikipedia the budget was 15 million
1: yeah but that is hard to believe, so because that, that hasn't been reported on other sites.
0: I could make that movie for 15 million. I mean I don't know how much it costs to pay you know Matt
1: Damon and stuff, but well, TJ, you're a great filmmaker, of course you could.
0: Well, no, I'm confidence. just saying with the right resources and the right cinematographers and stuff, I, I don't know that I could make it, but I could see it being made for that because there wasn't a lot of there was no special effects in the film, right? I mean and it's not well, like the not vehicles that we know of. It's not like the vehicles were expensive. Look what they were driving, you know. <laughs> Although there was that one scene.
1: <laughs> yeah. Now well, I don't know, maybe they added in some of the rain digitally, I don't know.
0: Ah, whatever. So now if you're <laughs> uh it's not a big deal. <laughs> If you're ready to, to move into the dislikes, I think one of the things that was simultaneously a, a strength of the film was also its greatest weakness. And that is that it um, it wasn't a, a story about whether or not this fracking process was bad, although at first you might think it by the end of the film, it was about. Uh, ethics it was about morality it was about what what's ethical and and the ethics of the large company and while i find that to be probably its greatest strength for me it's also the greatest weakness it's kind of a catch-22 well because they presented this story okay the whole premise of the uh, you know the school teacher who uh, just happened to be a rocket scientist well there's a plot hole for i mean come on School teacher, ha- old man living on a farm raising ponies, happened to be a rocket scientist. Really seriously, but okay, get past that. And he's he's talking about he's the the one leading the opposition against this natural gas company coming in and drilling and doing this process that's known in uh, as fracking. Okay, and so he's leading the opposition against that, and um.
1: Well, see, the thing is that I actually, though, I, I felt that at times Frankie Yates, the character played by Hal Holbrook, was uh, not used very effectively. And you're right, it seemed like sometimes his moments on screen were a bit forced or. Uh, they were certainly seemed, forced. But I yeah, guess
0: the point that I, pre-
1: with- I I appreciated the premise of what Frankie Yates was because I think that, that his, his character is actually part of the charm for Small Town America that not everybody is what they appear to be. You know, that he he is a very brilliant man, and he returned to the heartland of America after he had his long, prestigious, you know, academic career. And it, 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 it's good to remind city folk, that, and I'm one of those, that, uh, you know, the, uh, people out there in small town in America are people too. and uh, And not everybody is what they appear to be on the surface. You shouldn't judge people and get ahead of yourself. And that was one of the weaknesses that Steve Butler had from the get-go. You know, the first scene uh, was kind of weak, but then in the way in which it was followed up with the introduction of Frank Yates, I thought was very effective. You remember at the beginning, Steve Butler is meeting with some of the big shots up at uh, global in the big city. And he gets a a quick impression of one of these um, executives that he is a very superficial man that, Uh, he wants everybody he meets with. I think that he likes them. So the first thing he does is he throws out a joke and he uses the same joke all the time. And this other executive is telling Steve Butler, yeah, so-and-so couldn't make it here, but you know what he would have said when he got here, he would have used the one joke he always has. And that is, you know, something to the effect of, uh, you didn't mention how good looking the guy was we were meeting with today or something like that. (laughs) Anyway, it works better in the movie than I am able to uh, recite it. Right to paraphrase it, but the point is Steve Butler very quickly is making a uh, you know, he, he made a, an impression of these people in the big city and it's quickly clear that he is thinking you know what, these are the big dogs and you know, you, you have high expectations for the leadership of a big organization, but you can see that they're just people too and it doesn't just because they're the executives doesn't mean they're the best and the brightest or that they're the <laughs> the uh, the most personable people, and then he goes into a small town in America, and he's reminded of those things he really loves, and, and it takes him off guard at first that the people of the uh, the town are are smart and they're co- and they're interesting to him, and it brings him back to his his youth, how he was raised up on the in the farm, and uh, I don't know, I, I I just thought that that was one of the clevernesses of the early part of the story, but I. I find it interesting. I'm sorry, I said a lot to you, to your little criticism. I'm sorry. Well, I
0: hadn't I hadn't finished my thought either, but I'm just letting I'm just letting uh, yeah, you, please, just letting you
1: continue. go. Continue <laughs> returning to your originally scheduled criticism.
0: <laughs> well, if I can if I can pull it back together here, I've kind of lost my train of thought. But um,
1: you were criticizing Frank Yates because he seemed to be forced into the story.
0: Well, that was almost a side tangent to my point. I just I got to that, and I'm like, oh yeah, by the way, uh, just the fact that there's a rocket scientist living here.
1: Yes, Okay, Yeah, right.
0: But the, the the problem is this film assumes that uh, it assumes that you already understand that fracking is bad and that it's it's going to cause harm, right? And th- you know they change the focus of the story to the morality of the company rather than saying, okay, this this process is very bad and shouldn't be done. We're burning the, as Frank Yates says, we're burning, we're scorching the earth under our feet. You know, and and we haven't established that. And so the the film, uh, very cleverly, I think, I think a lot of people will go, oh, yeah, see, uh, you know, and and so it's become now, by the end of the film, it has become, uh, it's villainizing the big company for being a big company, for, for trying to shift the argument in its favor so that no matter what, they come out on top. I mean, this is what everybody does, whether it's a big company or a people. Now, I'm not saying and and don't take me the wrong way uh here. I'm not saying that what the company did in this situation in this film was right, and I think Matt Damon's response is was the right response to say no, these people need to understand and need the truth that they were deceived by this company. That's all fine. It's just that they assume things that I don't that I don't think are assumable. That that was the point I was trying to make.
1: Yeah. Well, it seems to me that, uh, like a lot of the uh, critics have mentioned, uh, the Promised Land uh, doesn't make a very strong argument for or against fracking because they avoid so many details. They avoid the evidence for or against. And it has a lot more to do with it's an emotional decision. How will this impact the people um, if it should go awry? You know, there weren't actually... They never prove it will guaranteed go awry. Kind of like the Death Star shooting all Alderan ultimately is a very obviously bad thing for people on Alderan. This is this is not a good move for and, those poor people.
0: And you want people to take you
1: seriously, <laughs> Joseph? <laughs> yeah. But my my point is <laughs> that here we got the gas company and I wasn't convinced because it seems like they're making them out as the bad guys. And so this is where they they get away from whether or not it's morally decent and good to uh, bring fracking to America's uh, farm country.
0: Right, and they shifted the argument from that to well, we already assume that that's that's the case. Therefore, this company coming in and playing the stacking the deck in their favor is bad. Right, and, and again, so, I, I've already admitted that I think that right. uh, they the deception was messed up. Right, but that that that's. You know, so they're villainizing natural gas and the fracking process by villainizing a company for doing something that was not that was objectionable, that didn't even have anything to do with the fracking process. And 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 I thought I I, I thought when he made it, I thought Matt Damon had such a great point as Steve Butler when he says uh, before he knows ultimately who the uh, green guy is that's trying that's supposedly against you know trying to keep natural gas out of the town. so I thought he had a great point. What What does he think that truck runs on that he's driving around in? You know what? What does he What does he think his Where does he think his electricity comes from? And when he cooks on right. his on his natural gas stove, where does he think that comes from? I I thought that was a great point. We're willing. This is what irritates me so much is we're willing to say we, we have all these bleeding hearts saying we got to stop doing this and that and look what it's doing to a cow over there. But we're not willing to give any of this up, right? We're not we're not willing to give up our modern conveniences that run off this stuff. That that I thought that that was a great point, and it's obviously not the point the movie was trying to make.
1: <laughs> right.
0: And, you know, forgive me again, I'm sorry, I, I am a conservative, and this is how I feel about the thing. Now, do I think that, do I think, I don't have any evidence, but do I think that the fracking process has some danger inherent to it? Well, yes, and anything in life does. I think there there could be something to that, but I think
1: it's been overblown. Right. So. But it, but also, I don't know, it just seems like, again, we're going back to the film takes advantage of uh, criminalizing the natural gas process of, you know, hydraulic uh, drilling and all that. But then to sort of, um, to redeem the film, they needed to go back to something that was transcendently, obviously, you know, relatable. And, uh, I I mentioned this in my review. I just wanted to, uh, uh, highlight something I said in my review (sighs) that basically Every film tries to capture something that is inherently obviously true so that the audience can identify with what is morally right together and back up the protagonist. That is, that is very important to narrative, whether it's movies or TV shows or a novel, because we all want to somehow be enlightened by a story. We want to see how transcendent truths, which we all generally agree on, like the importance of you know integrity are are realized in somebody else's life situation so that we can vicariously experience that kind of difficulty say the protagonist goes through and see him put through the tests and come out on the other side doing the right thing and and we want to relate to that so uh in this film what they what it does is it uses uh the film as a uh, to, to bully the uh, the gas co- natural gas company, you know, op- their objectives. But to bring it full circle and to give us something that the audience can all agree on, whether you're for or against the natural gas companies, they turn it into a message of integrity matters. You know, that um, it, the individual and the, the big company has got to be transparent and honest with each other but because th- this company in the in the movie um global cross power solutions isn't honest with its own employees steve butler realizes i cannot support them i cannot agree uh, to you know obviously they're and corrupt I, and i would have felt that way too right i would have quit i would have i would have told them the truth yeah so uh, he uh, he he agrees with um the town, the townsfolk. Hey, you know what? Because they're up to no good, we cannot, we cannot, uh, in, in good conscience support the uh, them coming to this small town. Now, um, someone in the chat room who's identified as just dude, he's making a a comment. He says it sounds like a really good movie. But see, here's the thing, dude. Uh, the film, <laughs> dude. yeah, the film doesn't effectively deliver this transcendent message of the power of integrity. It comes late into the story. It seems like it was tacked on. It doesn't feel like it was well developed. the 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 lines that Steve Butler has to make at the end scene of a town hall are not convincing. That, I mean, he has a a moral, um, you know, decision to make. Do I want to continue to work for this company that has been deceitful with me and the town? That's a personal decision. And he should make it, and he, he obviously it seems like the right thing to do would be to quit his job. Um, as it, turned, it turns out, he doesn't actually quit his job. He he gets fired first. But uh, while he was still employed, he tells the town how uh, the company deceived them all. So uh, if it were up to him, he would not do business with them. So here's the thing, though. Uh that last scene where he delivers that message just felt tacked on. It felt like Matt Damon wasn't able to sell it. It felt like after that moment, the the way that the film wraps up was um, again, also tacked on an in, incomplete thought, not as not, not given the attention of the rest of the film. And, and then this is where I, I really wrestle with a film that's trying to you, uh, a, a, filmmakers trying to use a film to deliver a, a, a an important message about you know politics or religion or anything. Um, so in my review, I tried to to describe it like this: by the end of the film, the producers hope you have turned off your brain and assumed that somehow all of the logic and knowledge presented in the movie should all come together to deliver you a brilliant clincher. Global Cross Power Solutions is devious. So, they must be up to no good when it comes to their regular business practices. Everything else that isn't inherently a lie, just the hydraulic solution of getting natural gas, must be inherently flawed, or they must be doing it in a poor way that they, they want to keep from you. I like the next line of your review. Read this it. conclusion is a logical fallacy, for if this is true, then so are the environmentalists... Um that have made this movie. They are being hypocritical, I should say. So the subtext of the film spoils the heart of the film. Matt's aiming to convince you that, something's that something that looks too good to be true probably is. And he is absolutely right. But the same can be said about this movie itself. The film that looks like it presents all the facts probably isn't. And it's and, certainly not presenting all the facts. Exactly. And it's an inherently obvious the way that the film tries to sell you on the moral to the story and that cr- the, the gas company is evil is with emotions.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, to dude in the uh, chat room, I'll pick on dude anytime I want. <laughs> hey, uh, so I think we've we've talked long enough about this, and we're we're yeah. we're going to turn off so many people who probably listen to this podcast who aren't on the same page as we are politically. So sorry about that, guys. We hope you tune in next time. We don't we don't talk about politics that much on the show, but you know, on a on a thing like this, you kind of got to. I want to point out to you, Joseph, something that I just noticed. This review has been up for a full day, and I've just noticed it. Oh, there is raw markdown in your review.
1: Okay, uh, isn't that a, a rabbit trail, TJ? <laughs> I'm just saying fix, we can fix that later.
0: I'm just saying I, I want people to peek behind the curtain, see behind the scenes. You wrote this post <laughs> to mark Markdown, and uh, you some something. It looks like you removed the footnote, and the footnote marker did not get removed.
1: No, I didn't remove the footnote. That's kind of funky. I don't know why it didn't show up. Mm. Um, I okay. was thinking about that earlier when I happened across it. Yeah, we'll <laughs> fix that in the after dark. Um, Uh, but anyway, I'm sure that footnote was worth it. So we'll, we'll take 20 minutes to get it back in.
0: Yeah. Make sure it gets back in there. Mm. Do you have anything else to say about this film or have we talked it to death?
1: We have talked it to death, but yeah, I think that the, the conclusion here is, is again, um, I don't take an issue with a political view. That's different from my own. I take an issue with a film that uses a huge lapse in logic to try and sell me on, um, a transcendent moral value of integrity that I don't think is completely honest or completely true. And I don't think that it was convincing or powerfully persuasive in the film and how it was done.
0: Yeah, the good news is that um, even the critics who I know would disagree with us politically are not liking the film either. So it doesn't look like either side really likes yes, the Yes,
1: actually, thank you for bringing that up, because that is an excellent point. Uh, Promised Land... You know, so many times when we have a bad feeling about a movie and we want to give it a poorer rating for that reason, uh, we come to find, you know, we're kind of unique in our opinions. But as it turns out, uh, uh, the general audience and the critics of Rotten Tomatoes are a lot harsher on this film than we are. And I am especially. Anyway, I'm, I'm willing to give... Uh, promised land three out of five stars because I liked it a little bit more than I disliked it for the excellence in the uh, cinematography, the acting in the first two acts. And ultimately I cannot see that the story could have gone any other way by the the way they wrapped it up in the end. I just wished it had been written well at the end and that they had a more convincing argument and that it hadn't turned into this um, nebulous, incomplete idea of morality. Um, so Rotten Tomatoes, yeah, critics gave it a 49, uh, general audiences gave it a 41, and the people over on IMDb, they're giving it a 6 out of 10. TJ, what did you think? Two and, you half, two and a half stars, neutral. The,
0: yeah, the things that I liked neutral. about it were about, weighed about the same as the things I disliked. so it sounds neutral to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, Joseph, I, uh, we're ready to move on, we're done talking about Promised Land, we're ready to wrap it up, and I've, 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 my brain has gotten completely stumped <laughs> and stuck. Because you've done something in this outline that just I, I can't think, I can't breathe, I can't see. Oh? My 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 eyeballs are burning.
1: <laughs> okay. <B-b-b-> oh right <laughs> You oh, put shucks.
0: Comic Sans font in the outline. I, I can no longer be friends with you.
1: Oh, but TJ, come on, have a heart. It was I knew it was so hideously ugly, ugly, you'd have to notice it.
0: Okay, sorry, moving on. Inside baseball, moving on. <laughs> yeah, that uh, was
1: very inside baseball. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's our show outline of, of which we, if we get off topic and we try to remember where we need to go back to and say, what were we talking about? We look at the show. Oh, that's right. We were talking about promised land, yes. not, not, uh, not comic sans.
1: <laughs> yes. And then well, comic I sans is sure that, you, that we both remembered that particular point uh, here at the end of the show. Ladies and gentlemen, TJ wanted us to mention a few of the other excellent podcasts that we are involved in. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm doing a podcast
0: on uh, the Q Network. It's a new uh, podcast network. I'm not in charge of the network at all. I just have one show there. uh, A friend of mine, Alex Arena, asked me to do the show with him. I'm kind of excited about the show. The show is called In the Q, and it's where we talk about uh, movies and TV shows that you can watch. uh, from your online queues like hulu or netflix or amazon video on demand or itunes um and so uh, like i said the show is called in the queue and we're talking uh, in our initial run here of first few episodes we're talking about the tv show revolution it's a lot of fun you should check it out the new episode we recorded yesterday will be posted uh Alex tells me in about 30 minutes. He actually just messaged me during the show because I, I messaged ah. him and asked, Where is the new episode? So that a m que.am/slash itq for in the queue. That'll take you right to that show and you should check it out. I know dot I'm
1: subscribing. que.am/slash itq. Mm.
0: We mm. had a so new how do,
1: how, This is episode one. You just got episode one out? No,
0: or? no. This is episode five.
1: Episode five. Wow, shoot. Okay. So you got one episode a week, right?
0: Yes. So uh, then uh, also we uh, have just posted a new episode of the new movieology podcast. Um, it is kind of, kind of a sequel, uh, even more direct sequel than Movie Byte to the original movieology. And uh, the guys yes. Eric and Michael that are doing the podcast, they, they really dive deep and talk about a single film uh, in their over an hour long episode. I can't remember. It was an hour and 20 minutes or something like that. Uh, this last one was on Les Miz, and it's the second episode of that podcast. You should check that one out, too. Uh, You can find Movieology at moviebyte.com slash movieology, M-O-V-I-E-O-L-O-G-Y.
1: Yes, and uh, for for people to know, um, (coughs) Moviebyte's podcast, which you're hearing now, is the main staple. This is the original podcast of our site. But remember that this whole um, site was brought about because it it was um, this is, uh, in a way, the child of another program, another website that I used to manage called movieology.tv. And Movieology was a web show on YouTube, and we ran over 70 episodes reviewing movies from 2011, January through December. And then what happened was we realized we wanted to move towards the podcast format. We realized uh, after a, a little bit of a hiatus how we could make that happen with DJ's help. So Movie Bite was born, but then we always wanted to bring Movieology back somehow. And Michael and Eric both were guest hosts on the original show. And as they are the hosts of Movieology, I think that they represent the truest essence of what Movieology is trying to accomplish. Movie Bite is, mo- as a podcast, is mostly about the entertainment value and those things that we see on the surface that work or don't work in a film's favor for its value. Yeah,
0: it's about and, having fun.
1: Yeah, it, and shoot, we're doing a good job of it. I don't, <laughs> I would think so. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so fun. yeah, Movieology, however, takes it from a different approach. They kind of go in the back door. To, uh, to address a film and they're looking at why a film works or doesn't work in the meta and those things behind the curtain, those things in the, uh, uh, you know, the messages of the film, the metaphors and the complexities of the story for, um, for the, you know, those that like to think really hard about their movies. So uh, if you just cannot get enough of the movies, because, you want to know more about why a film is pitching the story in a particular way. Movieology is what all of that is about. It is really great material. It's like, it is like like commentary like no other that you will get on a film because it's all not right, just Disney. about entertainment.
0: All right, man. <laughs> I'm overselling it? You're overselling it, man. It's good. It is awesome. It's good. It's good. Check it out. Okay. Movieology. <sighs> all right. All right, our featured topic for next week is going to be Gangster Squad. We're going to talk about uh, that movie that A.O. Scott over at New York Times thinks is such a horrible movie. So make sure you tune in for that. I thought it was a great film. Uh, you know, it had had its troubles, but it had its its good spots, too. So I liked it a lot. So now, Joseph, here we are at the end of this podcast, and I'm sure that people, after hearing you, they're they're going to want to follow you and and keep up with you and and just see all the work that you do on the, on the internet and, you know, to see what words of wisdom you might have to offer here and there on Twitter and stuff like
1: that. So where can people find you? Well, TJ, you're, you're too kind. You say that every episode. I do.
0: I got to find something new to say.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm at moviebite.com as a writer reviewer as often as I can. And then, Uh, You can catch me on Facebook if you care to get to know me a little bit better. Just go to josephdarnell.com. That takes you to my profile. And I'm also available at my own site, jivingjackalope.com. I write about tech news, culture, and productivity and the likes. Then uh, where I really like to hang out, the place I really enjoy chatting it up on the web, is uh, Twitter. So I am just at josephdarnell on Twitter.
0: Yep, I'm on Twitter also. I am TJ Draper Pro. You can find me on Facebook, Facebook.com slash TJ Draper. Uh, you can uh, hire me to do web design or uh, video work at Buzzing Pixel com, And uh, that's pretty much all the places you can find me. Uh, and that's about it for us this week. Uh, make sure that you uh, visit. Uh, our page in iTunes, the movie Byte podcast and rate us and review us that helps people to find the podcast. We need for the podcast to grow. We need for people to find us. And so I'm asking you, if you haven't done so yet to come out and give us a rating and you can find show notes for this episode at movie slash M B podcast slash 27. All the show notes are there. You can listen to the episode there. Uh, anything related to this episode is at that URL. And you can also find the link for our iTunes page there as well. That's it. Thanks,
1: Joseph. Thanks, TJ. You have a good night. You too.